Welcome to the Delve Spirit and Truth Podcast, where we wrestle with questions from the pew. This is Casey. And this is Jenny. Today we're delving into a topic that some would call the spirit of religion. Some would call, or we would call. We would call it. <laughs> some might call it, I don't know, self-righteousness. Legalism. Pharisaical. Following the rules versus going for the heart. There's this struggle that we see that so many Christians fall into that it's really a trap because it's much easier to follow a to-do list and feel like you have achieved some form of righteousness than it is to follow the spirit in the heart of the law. And I think when you're raised in the church like we were, you don't realize that, that especially if you're in a mainline denomination, that most of the sermons revolve around whatever that that denomination's rule list is. You know, we were raised in a denomination. It was very much like, this is why we don't drink, period. And this is why we don't gamble. And this is why we do full immersion baptism. And so you're getting all these sermons, which are basically a list of rules, and then you're doing these things. And so then you feel God pleased with me. I'm doing the right things. I'm good. And what you find is that no denomination, um, not even Greek Orthodox, not even um, Catholicism as a religion or any Protestant denomination is exempt from this trap. I mean, we all fall into it because you don't even have to be a Christian to fall into this idea of I need to keep the rules. It is a human problem because we're all fallen. And even back in the day, the the original Pharisees and Sadducees, the, the Jewish, you know, religion fell into the same trap. They were, you know, had these list of rules. They even added rules to the rules. And my rules it, got rules. My rules got rules got rules. And in it, they felt very validated and justified and accepted by God because they're doing the checklists. And I mean, let me tell you, I'm a checklist person. I love checklists. Like, I feel accomplished. I feel like I have things under control. And so I get the need for the checklist. And it's much more abstract to look at the heart. But whenever you're trying to evaluate why these religious people that knew the word of God, knew the Torah like the back of their hand, missed it. They missed the truth. They missed Jesus is God. And to the point of crucifying him. And you say, how can this happen? And it is all over the Bible. Well, what you what you find is that there is almost this false sense of security in knowledge. And not to say that knowledge is bad. I, I'm a proponent of knowing the Word of God. I, I'm an advocate for strong and strict orthodox theology. But when you're looking at this idea of knowledge, what does the Scripture say? It puffs up. Mm-hmm. It builds up a pride and a sense of security that, well, if I know these things and if I perform these things, at least outwardly, then that is going to translate to my representation before God as being righteous. When the Lord doesn't deal with the actions, he deals with the intents of the heart. So when I started grappling with this, you know, I was reading scriptures like 1 Corinthians 13 that talked about love and I was talking about like, you can know all prophecies, you can have all knowledge, you know, you can do amazing works for God and not have any love and it means nothing. Jesus says to this group of people that cast out demons in their name and and prophesied and did all these amazing things. And he says, I never knew you. Mm. And that kind of terrified me. I, I'm like, I don't get it, God. Like the fruit was there, Right. But I didn't realize that it wasn't true fruit. Right. It, it was a 
I think the analogy would be it's it's like tying dead fruit to a tree. That fruit has no root. It has no sustenance. It has no ability to actually grow because the tree is bad. Well, the inside of the fruit is rotten. You know, just like Jesus warned, we talked about last week, all these woes that he gave to the Pharisees in Matthew 23, where he says, um, you know, you you tie the mint and cumin, but you neglect the weightier matters, mercy mm-hmm. and justice and, and having true faith that you're blind leading the blind. He talks, he calls them hypocrites. He, you know, we talked about last week that he says, you clean the outside of the cup and dish, but the inside is full of extortion and self-indulgence, which is an interesting accusation. The accusation isn't like the inside is unloving the inside is it's basically calling them corrupt like extortion and self-indulgence and then we see the same warning that he gives us for the last days in the last days that men are going to be lovers of themselves that they are going Mm. to lovers of money boasters proud blasphemers disobedient to parents Unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And you think that this is a list of bad people. You think of like whenever I used to read this, I'm like, oh, these are the bad guys, like not the and religious like These are the like non-believers. These are the non-believers. It's not people like me. But then the next line gets you because mm-hmm. he says having a form of godliness. But denying its power. And that is... That is the reality of it. When you walk in this religious spirit, as we're seeing that the Lord describes in his word, and you see Paul describing um, here in Timothy, this this form of godliness is a outward representation of legalistic keeping the rules. You're getting fully immersed when baptized. You're going to church every Sunday. You're tithing 10%, 20% of your income. Right, but all of these things do not translate to righteousness. These are acts of the will and acts of the flesh. Now, not always, obviously, right? All of these things can be done with a good heart, but the road to hell is paved with good intentions. How many of us have heard that growing up? It has nothing to do with the action and everything to do with the attitude of the heart. And so this verse that Casey just read out of 2 Timothy 3, Jesus gives this warning and he says, stay away from such people, that they're always learning, but never arriving at the knowledge of truth. And I just think about learning and learning and learning. You you talked about acquiring that head knowledge, but not arriving at truth. That's what happened to the Pharisees and Sadducees in Jesus' day. They never arrived at truth. That's Jesus warns us that he's talking about, he says, but in the last days. Yeah, Paul's saying this. He's like, this is still going to continue. The spirit of religion doesn't ever change. It, it's the same at the heart. It yeah. might look a little different. You know, they might not wear robes anymore, but the heart is still the same. And it's that I'm justified because of my head knowledge. And we're going to ignore the, fa- the fact that my heart isn't full of love, compassion, understanding, mm. hoping the best. This list in First Corinthians 13 of what true love is. Well, he has shown you, a man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God, right? It, it is something that I quote all the time, but coupled with this reality that the Lord resists the proud. And what does knowledge do? It puffs up. It increases pride. And what I find so often, and I was just as guilty of this, and every, every person is susceptible to this, and I would say men in general probably more so, is this— Amen. <laughs> that we can— 
have such a knowledge of truth, but not actually arrive at it. And, and, and it is expressed so explicitly here because there is a pride and an arrogance tied to what we know, and we think that what we know will justify and translate to righteousness, and it never, never does. And this completely reminds me of the scripture whenever there's the Pharisee and he's praying in the synagogue and he's like, thank you, Lord, that I'm not like that other man. And this other man's like beating his breast and, and saying like, I'm a, I'm a sinner, Lord, forgive me. Mm-hmm. And Jesus talks about the the humble one is the one that's going to be forgiven. Absolutely. Not the quote unquote righteous one. It's this, this trait of humility in our hearts that really denotes that we have the proper understanding of where we stand. And it's like with that proper understanding, we can actually respond to God with thanksgiving mm-hmm. because because of what he saved us. You know, um, Luke 7, the girl that's crying and cleaning Jesus's feet with her hair. Um, and the Pharisees are like, if you knew who she was, you wouldn't let her touch you. And he tells this parable about forgiving debts. And one person got forgiven a huge debt and one a little debt. And they said, which one's more thankful? And they all agreed that the one with the bigger debt is more thankful. And Jesus said, yes, and those that have been forgiven much love much. So from this heart of humility, we can really recognize how much we've been forgiven. And it produces a response of love and gratitude towards God. When I read that scripture, I had this revelation that I felt very justified in the religious doings that I had, and I didn't have a deep revelation of how much I'd been forgiven. And that's why I was lacking in love towards the Lord and towards others, because I was actually standing in self-justification. And so I started praying and asking the Lord, Lord, show me what a sinner I am so that I can really respond with awe at how much you've forgiven me because I knew that would produce gratitude, humility, and love in my heart towards him. And it's all about the heart. Well, it, it is this realization that I can't save myself. I can't be good enough. I can't keep the rules to the degree of perfection that God has called me to. And that's that's something that a lot of Christians don't hold in tension. A lot of, I hear it all the time, even with people I dearly love, and they say, well, well, you can't be perfect. I'm like, no, you can't. But guess what? You're called to perfection. Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Which is really speaking of the heart. It's absolutely speaking of the heart. And the only way in which we can achieve perfection is when we recognize the depths and the depravity of ourselves, submit and humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, and he lifts us up, and he is the enabler to empower us to actually keep the law in perfection, which is in love, because what is the summation of all the law? It is love, and we cannot love apart from the Holy Spirit shedding abroad the love of God in our heart. It's like we're putting the cart before the horse. We want to follow the rules and that lead unto heart change, but usually you follow the rules and then the cart's empty, (laughs) you know? But if you were to actually love the Lord, then naturally... You follow the rules. Well, I would say the cart's not empty. There's a lot of rotten fruit back there. <laughs> my revelation, one of my, you know, continuing ongoing things, like God just reveals this to me deeper and deeper. But one of the big ones for me was when I realized it's always been this way, that even in the Old Testament, the Lord didn't delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice. He delighted in obedience, which is the heart. That's in First Samuel 15. And then also in Isaiah 1, it says the same thing. 
in verse 11, Jesus talks, or the Lord talks about how you've given so many sacrifices, but the the burnt offerings and the rams, that he doesn't de- delight in that. He doesn't delight in the blood of that, that he actually wants obedience. Mm-hmm. You read that full chapter, and that's really the heart behind it is choose to do good. Like you're doing these religious works, mm-hmm. but I actually want your heart. You're missing the more important part. And what I think is so beautiful about what you're quoting is at the very beginning of Isaiah, he says, listen, Israel, let us come and reason together. It is a reasonable approach to understand that our actions do not translate to righteousness. It has always been the nature of God to have our heart because he has formed us for perfection. But the problem is we are born into the sinful world. And so we think that now I have to earn that which has been lost innately within us. We understand that um, subconsciously, subliminally, in our very core, that we are trying to earn back that which was lost. And I think that's why people get so excited about being used by God and like getting prophecies and, you know, being used to pray for people and people getting healed. Because I think that deep down they have this insecurity of I'm not enough or God doesn't love me or these things. And so when that happens, they're like, oh, you know, this gives me hope. Maybe he does love me. Maybe he does this. But <laughs> even First Corinthians 13 addresses that, that you can you can know all mysteries. You can do powerful things and not have love and it means nothing. Mm-hmm. So even in the realms of the charismatic, it's not about the gifts. It's about your heart. Mm-hmm. First and foremost, this walk with the Lord is about our hearts being transformed into his heart, like being like him. If there has not been an actual encounter with the person of God and who he is as love, then there's not going to be anything that we do that is going to earn that love because the love is freely given. We love him because he first loved us. The display of love that you see throughout the New Testament is exemplified in the cross of Christ, that he did so while we were yet his enemies. He died for us while we were yet sinners. And so this picture is not of something that we have earned. It can never be by merit. It has to always be a free gift. Otherwise, we have some room to boast. This is what Paul clearly teaches in Romans. And I think, you know, when you are really walking in a spirit of religion, you really don't know. Back whenever Mm. I was so religious and not filled with love. There's a lot of self-deception there. There's a lot of self-deception. And so there's a lot of twisting, twisting things in your favor, right? And so um, I had a very strong, bold personality. You know, I took these personality tests. It talked about what I was like. I accepted that because it sounded very relatable, very much like I was. And so I just took the stance that, well, I just walk in truth and I'm just going to speak truth. And if you don't like it, then, you know, that's your problem until you encounter the word of God and you realize that you're wrong. And one of the times this happened to me was in James 3, and it talks about that the wisdom from above is pure, peaceable, gentle, willing to yield. That That's the verse that really got me right there. Willing to yield full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy, the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace. And I just didn't get it. I was like, if it's true, it doesn't need to yield. It needs to, you know, have power behind it and be like hammered in. It needs to be like spoken. And I really grappled with the Lord about this. And he, I felt like that he impressed on my heart that even if you have truth, 
if people aren't willing to receive it, it's not our job to jam it down their throats. It's not our job to force them to try and understand. It's really pride saying that, well, if I just explain this the right way, you'll get it because it's putting the power in my hands of I have the ability to make you understand instead of recognizing there's a wall here, they're not receiving. And so I'm going to be humble. I'm going to back down. I'm going to trust the Lord that he's going to bring this to them in a different way that they will be able to receive. Well, the only way that's going to come about is by tearing down every stronghold that exalts itself against the name of Christ. And the way in which we tear down strongholds is through peace, Mm -hmm. is through love, gentleness, and humility. And I think people contort love. You know, I had contorted love back then. I am being loving. I'm telling them the truth. Right. And if you really love them, you would tell them the truth, too, which is love, in my opinion. We're told to speak the truth. In, in love. love, right? So there's a loving way to speak truth. It's not that just simply speaking truth is love because I've received a lot of truth that I didn't receive because it wasn't presented in a loving way. That's why I'm just so thankful for First Corinthians 13 and this long exhortation about what love is like, that it's gentle, that it's kind. Because if I would have really stepped back back then, I would have recognized I'm trying to say that I'm walking in love, but the love, quote unquote, that I'm saying I'm walking in doesn't line up with this description that's in the word of God, which is true. And I've encountered that in people. I've had people that have really have the same lines of deception that I used to walk in, the same understandings of, well, this is love and they're wrong and love isn't lovey-dovey. It's not almost like they're saying it's not gentle and kind. It's brash. (laughs) And they're going against the scripture, which they love, and they're so fortified in, but they're not walking in truth. I can speak to this a bit because it's very easy when you have a a strong understanding of the word of God and you are exalted in that knowledge and pride, you can easily contort it to fit your own narrative. You can easily contort it to fit your own agenda and to justify your actions that don't line up with scripture. Which right before that James 3 verse, it talks about that if you have envy and self-seeking in your heart, do not boast and lie against the truth, but the wisdom, this wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic, for where there's envy and self-seeking exists, confusion and every evil thing are. So there's that self-seeking, that self-justification, and the Bible says it's demonic. And really it is because it's not lining with truth. It's not lining with God's thoughts. It's lining with lies. And we know that the enemy is the speaker of lies, that that's his fluent language. And so I was so caught up in religion and self-justification that I had demonic thinking that I wasn't even recognizing. And I can tell you the people around me didn't feel loved, didn't feel like I was this gentle, peaceful person that was humble. They encountered someone with a lot of pride and a lot of justification that someone that had a lot of religious works and knew a lot of words. And it might not manifest the same in your personality. You might have very quiet, meek personality, but you can still have a spirit of religion, spirit in your mind where you're judging others, you're condemning them in your thoughts, and you're not hoping the best. You Mm. might be gentle out loud, but in your mind, you can still have a spirit of religion and yeah, be boastful and thinking how you would never do that. And and so it can look differently in different personalities. I think that's a good point because a lot of times, again, as we're judging people by their actions, 
we in turn are saying, well, at least I'm not doing that. Trying to justify ourselves. And so we're still doing the same thing just inversely and like, oh, I'm I'm acting properly. I'm not performing that way. I would never. When again, what are we doing? We're judging ourselves and them on the basis of their action and not on the basis of the heart. But guess what? The Lord doesn't do that. The Lord always judges on the basis of the heart. Because if the heart is wicked, the actions will flow. And so when we're looking at this aspect of, well, at least I have a lot of self-control outwardly, but do you inwardly? Are, are there constant thoughts of peace and of love um, pervading your mind? Because if they're not, are you, you're a hypocrite. Are and it having, doesn't matter what you're doing. Are you having grace towards other people? Are you assuming the best in them? Are you judging them and making yourself feel more righteous? I would never. <laughs> and so there might be people that maybe on the outside don't don't appear to have this boastful spirit of religion, but they just have it in a very quiet form, a very meek, yeah. quiet, gentle form. But there's just as strong of a hold of a spirit of religion that's going on inside of their narrative than um, as someone that would be like more, you know, outwardly boisterous. Right. When you're looking at this, the heart is desperately wicked. Who could know it? Right when when we're looking at the attitude of the heart, it is this picture of Jesus in Luke five did not come to bring bring himself as a physician to those who are whole, but to come and mend those who were sick, and so it is this heart that is sick, that is desperately wicked, that needs to be restored. Right, he wasn't he wasn't there for the people that that had the clean outside of the cup that thought they had it all together. He was there for those that were that knew they needed a doctor. Right. And so I think a lot of it is just revelation and recognition of, oh, my goodness, my heart isn't operating in perfect love that God calls it to operate in. Like there's areas that need to be transformed. There's areas where I need to grow. Another thing that I want to talk about is, you know, nowadays we have inside of Christianity, there's really kind of a division. It's the division between the charismatic, the people that believe in the expression of the gifts, and then the people that believe that that has ceased. And um, and when you look back, biblically, there were things that the people with the spirit of religion did to Jesus. They multiple times accused him of having a demon. They accused him of blasphemy. And so they were here with these accusations, and we see these same accusations today. And many times, if you don't believe that the gifts are around, and then you're seeing people operating in gifts, I've seen these crazy accusations of, well, those people are operating in a in a demon or in a kundalini spirit or or different things like that, and these just like crazy accusations. It's, it's kundalini, apparently. <laughs> Whatever. And so why are we surprised? They said the same thing about Jesus Christ, the most perfect person. Well, the only perfect person to ever step face on this earth. That was the creator of the universe. And so what they, was it? He had the spirit of Baal. There were several, several times that he was <laughs> As apparently what he was. Beelzebub. Beelzebub, Beelzebub right not Baal. Well, it's rooted in Baal. Baalzebub. And so anyway, this spirit of religion accuses of demons, which is funny because at the root of it, it is demonic, this mm -hmm. religious spirit. It accuses of blasphemy and not truth when at the root of it, it is. That is blasphemy to accuse Christ of walking in demonic power. Exactly. And then we're warned that 
like Jesus in John 16 says that they're going to put you out of the synagogues and whoever kills you thinks that they're offering service to God. He warns that the spirit of religion is going to think that it's serving God, but it's actually, he's speaking to true believers, going to be persecuting true believers. So where do we see persecution of true believers within Christianity? In far more times than anything, it is this picture of the cessationist camp that the greatest accusation, the greatest persecution for charismatics within the body of Christ, which is the largest portion of Protestantism, by the way, if you don't include the American church, is this same picture of accusation that you had blaming Jesus that he had demons, saying Jesus had demons. And it is the exact equivalent of the Sadducees in Jesus' day. It's both terrifying and and heartbreaking that and you look into the camps and i used to be in the cessationist camp you know and i you know i didn't see miracles growing up they must not be around like it was my doctrine was based around my experience and not around the word of god and i i could preach (laughs) and and so I had to continue to keep bowing to the truth of the word of God, even when it was uncomfortable, even when Mm. I didn't understand it. And then I start looking into these people that I had watched warning YouTube videos about where I had heard slander about and I had already decided that they must be wrong. They must be bad. They must be blasphemers. And then I I knew the word of God enough because I'd spent a, a year studying verse by verse through the word of God. 40 hours a week that I knew that I could listen to something and filter it through the lens of the word of God to, for myself. So I started listening to sermons. I started listening to books to try and just understand like how much heresy is here. And I actually started seeing truth in the word of God that I had never actually examined before. I'd always kind of glossed over and always kind of ignored and it being brought out and highlighted, I started, but more than that, I saw this heart of love, love for scripture, love for truth, love for the Lord and love for others Mm -hmm. that I had never been exposed to. And love to their persecutors. Yes. Love to their accusers. One of the biggest things that I ever saw was that there's this famous pastor that's persecuted online heavily and he has people that dedicate their ministries to persecuting him christians call themselves christians dedicate themselves to slander of this man and he was talking about communion and he was talking about like when i take communion like i i you know plead the blood over myself i pray for my children and then he talks about these people he says i don't know why but there's you know some people that have made it their life's goal to persecute you know my ministry and i i pray for them and he prays this prayer And he says, I pray that they would have the honor of seeing their children serve the Lord. I pray that they would have deep encounters with the Lord and that that they would be transformed, that they would be blessed. And he, and the most authentic, loving prayer, there was no like, get them Lord or, you know, like (laughs) vengeance. Like it wasn't a prayer of David. It was, it was true blessing. (laughs) And I cried and I was like, that is is the heart of Jesus right there. Mm -hmm. Jesus prays like that for his enemies. And then I look over at the people slandering him and I see the the vile and the hatred and I just don't see any 1 Corinthians 13 in it. No, there's not. And so when I had to step back and I had to really evaluate which camp is right, which one has the heart of Jesus, which one aligns with the scriptures and the truth more. Mm -hmm. 
And well, I think it's I think it's that twofold aspect right there, right? There's the fruit of the spirit that's being displayed in their mercy, in their love, in their gentleness, in their peacemaking, in their pursuit of unity, even in spite of disagreements doctrinally. But I think also an, an exaltation of the Word of God. I would say both camps would say that they exalt the Word of God, but again, we have to boil this down. It's not in conflict or contradiction to the Scripture. It's just in conflict to maybe one camp's interpretation. But the problem is when we look to, when we look to doctrine, right? Doctrine is not theology. Doctrine is our understanding and interpretation of what theology teaches. Theology is the study of God and who he is. And so we apply doctrine to what we believe we understand about the theology we have in Scripture, where we know beyond the shadow of a doubt that Scripture is perfect, true, holy, uncorrupted. Both camps would say the same thing there. But the issue is, what I would point out what you said earlier, is this aspect of my experience does not reflect what I see in Scripture, therefore I am going to make a doctrine that reflects my experience and not what the theology of Scripture states. And so in this, how do we really tell what is a Sadducee and what's a true believer? Well, what do you see here in James 3, 10 to 12? Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear fri- <laughs> figs? Frigs? Figs? <laughs> Thus, no spring yields both salt water and fresh. If there is a bad spring, it will produce bad water. If you're seeing judgment and hatred and division, it's not good fruit. It is not of the Lord. It is not wisdom from above. It is demonic and sensual. You can't call earthly. an olive a fig. Like the, the the salt water is salty. The fresh water is fresh. You have to really step back and, and you and you can't just do this with intellectual knowledge. It's really about What? I've tried that many times. <laughs> you and atheists both, you know? <laughs> and so you need to know God yourself. You need to have intimacy with him. You need to know what he's like, know his gentleness and kindness. And really what's healed me in this journey is a deeper revelation of God's goodness. Every time I've encountered him, I've been astounded at his grace, at his mercy, at his acceptance, his hope in me, his belief of of what I'm able to do. He doesn't um, assume the the worst and condemn me. He believes the best in me. He accepts me as I am. And with those things, it changes the way that I see him. It changes the way that I respond to him, feeling safe and known and loved. You can actually extend more grace and more mercy to those around you because you're coming from such a safe position. You're not coming from this unstable, scary place. And so we have to know God. We have to spend time with him in our hearts, in our right brain, not just in our logic, not just in learning. And as we commune with him, as we enter into fellowship with him, we know what he's like. We learn to know the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the one that's going to guide us in all truth. He's going to be the one that warns us when something's off. That way we're not just going off of logical knowledge or logical YouTube warning videos, but we actually have the ability built inside of us as true Christians to have a radar 
of if something is off or if something is true? What I think I, I want to give as an encouragement to everyone is something that really brought about a, a strong shift in my life because I did come from a cessationist upbringing. And what I was encountered with continually as I was studying the scripture myself are these miraculous events, these miraculous occasions, not only in Jesus' life, but also in the ministry of the apostles. And then in the ministry of the church at large through the book of Acts. And that really challenged me to go, well, there was never an end date that is stated in the scripture. Now, I, I know all the arguments that a cessationist would make and go into 1 Corinthians 13 and all, but that's not explicitly stated in Scripture that, hey, these things shall stop happening. And what is so challenging for me and what I want to challenge you with is do not allow your experience to dictate truth. Truth does not change, and it is not subject to your whim. It is not subject to to your own belief system. Truth stands impervious to time. Truth stands impervious to culture. And truth stands impervious to your experience. And it is actually once we see our experience lining up with truth that we are going to find that truth never changed. It was I who had to change. One of the big promises that I cling to that that really helped me through this time of coming out of pharmaceuticalism was in James where it says draw near to God and he will draw near to you like that is a promise that is a promise to draw near to God and he will draw near to you you might need to understand what true intimacy is we have a podcast on that go look it up you I I didn't understand what intimacy was so it was hard for me to draw near him because I thought it was still a checklist I thought it was still learning knowledge and that's not what it's about there the, all the Pharisees knew all the knowledge and they missed it and so it's about the heart it's about drawing near an intimacy and then it says resist the devil and he will flee and that goes hand in hand we are in a spiritual battle our battle's not against flesh and blood it's against the principalities the rulers the spiritual forces of darkness in this present age and so our battle is not purely an intellectual battle, but a lot of it does take place in the intellect. And so it's this tension of when we look, Casey, when you were raised in that cessationist camp, if you look back, do you just see like a, a heart of love and humility and gentleness and awe of God's goodness? What attitude did you see being taught to you? I would say not rooted in the doctrines that they espoused, but I, I mean, obviously there's good people in any doctrinal position. But I would say what it produced was an outward expression of holiness when there was a lot of corruption inwardly. And there was, I mean, throughout the years, a lot of things exposed in people's lives to where there was egregious sin in a lot of families in that church. And a, a lot of families that they were keeping the to-do list outwardly and giving a display of godliness when inwardly they had never, I would say, truly encountered the love of God. Because if you have an encounter with the love of God, it transforms you. It it changes you. If you have a cultivated heart, cultivated by the Holy Spirit, to where you can then receive salvation. And so many times I can look back and just see the the different families that have fallen apart, the the kids who have rejected God. And I think this is true in any denomination, right? Any it, it does not matter. Orthodox, charismatic, Episcopalian, 
Baptist, Methodist, any Pentecostal denomination, any church is susceptible to legalism and the pharisaical mm-hmm. mindset. Right. And so we're not po- pointing out or picking on any specific denomination, but in that spirit of legalism, all it produces is brokenness. It produces a false sense of security. And, you know, we're millennials, and I feel like millennials and Don't tell everyone that. That they, that they see a checklist, a, a, a list of rules, and they're not really interested. They're like, no, thanks. I'm not really interested in following all these rules. And so the good news is, is this not about the rules? It's about the heart and the, the true encounter is where it's at. And so, you know, if you know someone that was raised in the church and they fell away, it might be because they were never exposed to true Christianity. You know, there's still hope for them. And, and the hope is, is that as we repent of a spirit of religion, we draw near to God and God changes our lives, that we would have the ability to speak into people's lives. If any of this is feeling familiar to you and you feel like conviction or that you could really grow and really understanding what God's really like, I highly suggest the book by Jack Frost called From a Spirit of Slavery to a Spirit of Sonship. It really helps you work through these different mindsets, be able to identify it in yourself and start on your road to repentance so that you can truly have the mind of a son or daughter. So things that we oftentimes see within the religious spirit is that people can receive trauma in their upbringing within the church and hurt from that religious spirit. And so Church hurt. Yeah, church hurt. It's pretty common in the South, I would say. What we want to talk about and discuss this next week is going to be talking about trauma, not just that church hurt type trauma, but trauma in general and how that can really affect us. We'll delve into that next week. So if this podcast has blessed you by giving you a deeper understanding of who God is and has helped you grow in your relationship with him, we would like you to share with your friends who would benefit from these conversations. And also, if there is a particular topic you would like Jenny or me to discuss, let us know by visiting our landing page, delvewithus.info, and dropping us an email. Until next time, we bless you to walk in spirit and in truth.